The scripture reading for today is 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 to 19. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Uh, I'm able to say you may be seated because as of today, uh, we have reopened our facility for uh, this week, uh, this Sunday, for our servant leaders to come and join us for in-person service. And for, for those of you who are watching uh, online, uh, live stream, uh, next, starting next week, uh, you will be welcomed back into uh, in-person worship service. So you need to pre-register and you will get, you'll be getting more information about how to join us in person. In the meantime, we will continue to worship together online for the next weeks and months to come. Uh, we don't know how things will unfold, but we trust that the Lord is at work as we sing. He will make a way and we will continue to worship our God and make disciples and serve his purpose and be part of his mission. So uh, I'm, I'm very grateful that we had a full band today. Uh, so good to hear the sound of the music filling the space and more people. And uh, again, welcome to Sunday Corporate Worship. Today's sermon title comes from straight from the passage, the verse 19 that we just read. Uh, Let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Uh, suffering according to God's will. Whenever we come to face this topic of suffering, uh, we all get humbled. I am humbled as I have been preparing to preach on this topic and as I'm preaching now uh, because I am mindful of you and my life included. Uh, suffering is real and it is hard. And to speak about something that's hard is not easy. So I've been praying that today's message will comfort those of you who are going through, have been going through a season of suffering. Some of you, a severe, intense suffering. Some of you, not so much. This season of COVID-19 has more been uh, renewal and rest. Uh, and may this message equip you uh, to face coming suffering because when we read this passage, Peter doesn't say, uh, don't be surprised if suffering happens or fire ordeal or trial comes to you. He says when it happens. It's not, it's not a matter of chance. It's a matter of time. And some of us are going through that. It is interesting how 
Suffering can draw you near to God or draw you away from God. I have experienced it myself and I'm sure you have too. And you see that everywhere. For some people, suffering is a reason to not believe in God. How could a loving God allow this kind of a suffering? For some people, however, suffering pushes them towards God even closer because the reason is, how can you go through life of suffering without God? You need every help that we can get from God who cares for us. So we see how same suffering can be responded by different people with different mindset, with different faith. And how we respond to trials and suffering can either bring disastrous results or deeper life and faith. Tim Keller in his book, Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering, says this, fire is a well-known image for torment and pain. Bible calls trials and troubles walking through fire, referring to Isaiah 43, or fiery ordeal in 1 Peter chapter 1, or fiery furnace. The biblical understanding of a furnace is more what we would call a forge, and by, by that, he means this, anything with that degree of heat is very powerful and dangerous. However, if that powerful and dangerous fire is used properly, it does not destroy. In fact, it can shape us and refine us and purify us and even beautify us. That's a remarkable view of suffering. That when we face suffering, and if we face it and endure it with faith, it can, in the end, only make us better, stronger, and more filled with greatness and joy. Now, this, this gives, this pumps me up as I think about suffering. As, as much as I'm humbled, if what Tim Keller describes here is true. The furnace that sometimes God puts us in is a way for God to shape us and mold us and refine us and beautify us. That, that changes everything. And when we suffer according to God's will and face in faith, in faith of the Son of God who is the suffering servant who knows us, who suffers not just for us, but with us and in us. This is encouraging. When it comes to suffering, there are different responses. A lot of us try to avoid it or deny it or run away from it or despair in it, just lie down in, in hopelessness. And that, that's a common response. Either you run away from it or quickly try to run through it and get done with it or simply just get knocked down. Now, when we come to today's passage, it's stunning how Peter says this. You don't avoid it, you don't deny it, you don't despair in it, but not only do you accept it and walk through it, the higher calling is this. Rejoice in it 
and glorify God in suffering. Look at this, verse 12 and following. Beloved, first do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange is happening to you, but rejoice. So don't be surprised, but rejoice. Insofar as you share Christ's suffering. If anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, meaning don't deny, try to deny your faith. Don't run away from Christ. But let your heart be filled with praise and glorifying God in that name, in, in the fact that you are a Christian suffering in this world. Man, this is, this is a different level of response. Not just being surprised or being dismayed or being in despair, but rejoice, glorify God. Like how, how do you jump or being from dismayed or here being in despair, but here. rejoice, That's the question. glorify how can God? We not just be in despair or like how, how do you jump or being dismayed or here being in despair but rejoice glorify God not just be in despair or being dismayed or here being in despair but rejoice glorify God not just be in despair or being dismayed or here being in despair but rejoice Oh, my God. 
God is God of life, not God of death. So it is so natural for us to feel uncomfortable, sad, and wrong about death. So sometimes we, we try to comfort people who's facing death or grief or some kind of disease. And we tell people that, you know, death is a, a, a perfectly natural part of this life. What we are doing when we say that is to force their God-given intuition to be repressed because this profound human intuition is that God is for life and death is wrong. Suffering is not God's intention. That's the doctrine of creation. And then comes the doctrine of the fall. Now, when we turn away from God and rebel against God, and I say, or we say, I'm going to do my life according to my desire, my plan, everything about the world, including our own hearts, our emotion, our bodies, our relationship with one another and the nature, when the relationship with God is broken, every other relationship in creation went berserk. The fall of mankind means that the original design of God's world is broken. And it is the fall, the sin that leads to death and every kind of suffering. And so God's creation and our fall mixed together brings us to this reality where we experience both joy and pain in our marriages, family life, relationship, when it comes to work or study, there's a deep sense of fulfillment, but also frustration, right? God's good pattern of life that God created is, is not completely eradicated by the fall. By God's common grace, we still maintain order and a limited peace of some sort. And that's God's goodness. But still, our experience of life falls way short of God's original intent. So every disease that we fight against, every physical pain or mental pain that we have, every heartache that we experience in any relationship, the social injustice and racism that we experience and get angry about, they're all evidence of the fall. And every human being, wherever you live, young and old, whatever skin color you have, whether you're a Christian or non-Christian, doesn't matter. Every human being experiences suffering under the curse of sin, the fall. So just because you're a Christian doesn't mean that you're not going to get cancer or covid or struggle to have a baby, or get a job, or struggle in your studies, or work. The effect of the fall is prevalent, is everywhere. We experience it every day to a different degree. So when people ask, there's a book that came out by a Jewish 
person a long time ago. Why, why does bad things happen to good people? In light of this doctrine of the fall, the question, the assumption of the question is wrong because there is no good people. That's the biblical answer. Because there's no good people, you shouldn't expect anything good, actually. The very fact that you're experiencing anything good is the evidence of God's goodness, actually. The real puzzle, the real question is, why does God allow so much happiness? That changes the whole perspective. Did you ever ask that question? Lord, in my fallenness, in my sinfulness, how can you allow this much goodness? How can you shine your light and bring food to our table, whether you're Christian or non-Christian? God, you're, you're a good, faithful creator. So this doctrine of creation and fall gives us a very nuanced and balanced, comprehensive view of suffering. And it can equip us and prepare us so that we're not surprised. Let's say I get sick for whatever reason. I shouldn't be surprised. I'm a pastor. I pray. I read my Bible. I'm trying to do good. How can you, God? No. Anything could happen to any of us. And we are to entrust ourselves to this faithful God and in God's faithfulness he not only created us the second doctrine is the doctrine of incarnation and atonement the first doctrine doesn't necessarily lead us to rejoice in suffering or glorify God in suffering it humbles us for sure it it gives us this reality check but we need the second and the third set of doctrines to rejoice and glorify God. So the second doctrine of incarnation and atonement. God who is faithful, and the, my favorite Hebrew word, hesed, the steadfast love, for those of you who read the Bible this morning, that, that phrase gets repeated. Praise the Lord, the steadfast love of the Lord endures forever. God who is so faithful, he's not just a creator, he's a faithful, good, loving creator who does not turn his back against the rebellious creatures in his steadfast love. When his people cry out, out of suffering, we, he, we see over and over and over again God hears them, and God comes to rescue them. Man, he's, he is faithful. He is worthy of our praise. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. It is new every morning. And in his faithfulness, in his steadfast love, guess what happened? God, in his perfect time, chooses to come down to a suffering and broken world to be with his people and to suffer for their sins, for our sins. I mean, First Peter, 
You, you do the, the concordance um, study or search in the, in the Bible app or any, any uh, search. First Peter actually ha- is a small letter, but it's saturated, this lang- saturated with this language of suffering. And we've, we've been reading this, and it talks both about our suffering, but also Christ's suffering. Christ suffered for us in his flesh. That's how the chapter uh, four begins in First Peter and throughout the book. Christ enters into our, God the creator, enters into our suffering for us and to be with us. And th- this, is, this is the most astounding truth the sovereign God himself entering into this world to experience our suffering and death for us. When we share this with people of other religions, we sound absurd and weird. They think it's ludicrous that this infinitely powerful God chooses to be finite and powerless, tossed by the people who hand him over to be crucified on the cross as a criminal and gets murdered. Tim Keller says this, here we see the ultimate strength. A God who is strong enough to voluntarily and willingly become weak and plunge himself into vulnerability and darkness out of love for us. Here we see the greatest possible glory. Did you hear that? Here we see the greatest possible glory. What kind of glory is this? God's glory is willingness to lay aside all his glory out of love for us. That's his glory. Jesus says in John's gospel, Father, reveal your glory just before he gets crucified. When we look at Jesus, the suffering servant crucified, we see the beauty and the glory of God. Jesus lost all his glory so that we can be clothed with his glory. If we understand that, and for those of us who know that, right now, you want to stand up and praise God. Praise be to God. God who is faithful creator is so committed to his fallible, feeble creatures like you and me. He comes to suffer for us. And for those of you who, who understand that, God is a suffering servant for me. He's not far away from me, but he actually enters into my suffering reality. If that clicks in our hearts, our response is, man, I want to, I really want to live for you. I want to live for 
your glory, for you have given your glory up so that I can be part of your glory. That's why this language of sharing in Christ's suffering in verse 13 comes in, right? When we rejoice in so far as you and I share in Christ's suffering, not any kind of suffering. He's, he talks about how, no, I'm not talking about suffering because of your sin. I'm talking about a different kind of suffering. If you really know the doctrine of incarnation and atonement, that God suffered for you, then you will be willing to suffer for him as he suffered for you. Participate in Christ's suffering. Now, this sharing Christ's suffering doesn't mean that we are somehow contributing or adding to Jesus' suffering for our sins. He, as we sang this morning, he, he paid it all. He, he, it's done. What we are doing when we share in Christ's suffering is an expression of our Christian confession and life, the willingness to die to ourselves as we are following him and as we want to live for him. Now, so what does it look like for us to, to rejoice in our suffering in, in so far as we participate or share in Christ's suffering? If you are long-suffering with your children as a Christian parent, that can be part of sharing in Christ's suffering. Entering into lives of people who are suffering and bearing burdens with them, whether it be spiritual, mental, physical, or financial. Now that's sharing Christ's suffering. For those of you who are persevering in this difficult relationship or workplace, and you have the name of Jesus in you, now that, being faithful to God's call in your life because you know that God has called you to work in that place and sometimes you just want to get out because sometimes you feel like it's a furnace. It's getting too hot and you feel like I'm burning but you trust God and you stay, you persevere. Now that, that can be suffering for Christ. Sacrificing your time and your money to help those in, who are in need, serving in various ministry for long haul. And Lord knows all your sacrifices. I don't know. People may not know. That's participating and sharing Christ's suffering. And if we choose to be bold, to share the gospel, in a not so friendly environment, and even go to UUPG, but even in GTA, or wherever we live, that can be part of sharing the suffering of Christ. Basically, we are living out 
our faith in Christ and walking with Christ. And as we are living out, it could mean, it could translate to some kind of trial. Now that is suffering of multiple different colors. And when we experience that, we remember what an honor to participate in Christ's suffering who redeems, who saves, and who loves his creature, his creation. And the great promise is this in verse 14. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, if you suffer for Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of the glory and of God or the glorious God rests on you. If we participate in suffering of Christ, you're blessed. I want to encourage especially leaders and servants who give your time, your life to serve others, take heart. Nothing, nothing is wasted. Lord knows. Be encouraged. The spirit of God's glory rests upon you. If you are serving not just, I'm not just talking about church. If you're serving, again, as a Christian, as in the front lines, in various workplaces, and really living for the glory of God, be assured today the Spirit of God rests upon you. And the greatest comfort is that Jesus, who not only came down incarnated and atoned for our sin on the cross, is not just one who suffered for us, but he's one who suffers with us. And this Isaiah passage, many of you know from chapter 43, is, is very comforting. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they will not overwhelm you. And some of us feel overwhelmed in this season. And we have been living through this season of somewhat overwhelming workload. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burnt. The flame shall not consume you. Let that truth register to our hearts this morning. Not only did Christ suffer for you on the cross, if you have Christ in you, you have Christ as your Lord and Savior and you walk with him, he is literally with you today and forevermore. He will never leave you or forsake you. Now the last one. So the doctrine of creation and the fall, the doctrine of incarnation atonement, the third step that we wanna hike up in order to be living with joy and glorifying God in our suffering is the doctrine of judgment and renewal. A lot of people complain that they cannot believe in a God who judges and punishes people. But if there is no judgment or judgment day, then it leads to two things or two options. We either lose all hope, just looking at the perpetuating evil around us, or we will turn to vengeance. If there is no judge, well, I gotta, I gotta take it on. 
I gotta be the judge. I, I gotta be punishing anybody who is in the wrong. Now, the doctrine of judgment, far from being a gloomy idea, enables us, empowers us to live with such hope and grace. We hope because we work towards justice, knowing that our work for justice and towards justice, no matter how little progress we make or how little success we experience, God will eventually bring full justice on earth as it is in heaven. He will do it. And when we are participating in any action of justice, we are making a difference in God's eyes. And we work with that hope. But it also enables us, empowers us to be gracious and forgiving. And we refrain from vengeance and violence because we know nobody will get away with anything. All the wrongs will be set right. Now that, that truth, nobody will get away with anything. Every wrong in this world in human history, God will set it right. That gives us peace that surpasses anything and everything that the world can offer. So this doctrine of judgment keeps us from being too passive or too violently aggressive in our pursuit of truth and justice. So it's a beautiful doctrine. For believers who share in the suffering of Christ, this judgment day, is something that we look forward to when God really answers the Lord's prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, when God renews the whole earth. Earth, No more suffering, no more tears. God will wipe away every tear from our eyes. No more pain, no more heartache, no more body ache. Everything's gone, full of life, full of glory of God. So First Peter 4.13 says, but rejoice in so far as you share Christ's suffering that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. He's talking about the second coming of Jesus when God will renew everything. The joy that you experience then will be triple, quadruple. You will be overjoyed. What's interesting and what's intriguing is in verse 17 and 18, that judgment that salvation has already begun. That's, this is a puzzling verse. It says in verse 17 and following, it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome of those who don't obey the gospel of God? Now, when it comes to followers of Jesus, this judgment of God is the judgment that saves us that helps us to grow in our salvation. So the fire of God is not just a fire of punishment. Actually, it's a fire that refines us. It's a refiner's fire. The fiery trial is to test us. So Peter calls us, you're being tested like the gold and silver 
needs to be tested through the refiner's fire. But your faith that has been tested is more precious than gold that perishes, though it gets tested by fire. And your life and your faith will be found to result in praise, glory, honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So when, when God brings about, when we experience the furnace, the fiery ordeal or trial, we must remember that God's plan is good and wonderful. And every experience that we have in, in God's sovereignty, it could be a difficult marriage, a difficult study or workplace or relationship, anything and everything God in his sovereign wisdom can use to sanctify, refine us. is not to punish us, but to purify us. And we see how that fiery ordeal has a limited time. It's not forever, but it has a clear purpose. And some of you are walking through that season right now. So I want to encourage you. God is not only for you, he's with you, and we read in Romans, he's in you through his Holy Spirit. Romans 5, 3, 5, listen. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, character produces hope, and the hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So I know that these doctrines, the three sets of doctrines, the creation, fall, incarnation, atonement, judgment, and renewal, if it's only in our heads, it's helpful, but it will not cause us to rejoice. Holy Spirit must bring it down to our hearts. So let's pray. Let's pray for that grace together. Father, we thank you for the truth that anchors our hearts so that we're not surprised when we as Christians go through a fiery trial. Rather, we are able to even rejoice in you, be filled with hope because we know that you are at work. You are doing something that we don't fully understand. It is tough, hard is hard, but we trust that you are purifying us. You are purifying your church. You're not harming us, you're helping us. We thank you that whenever we look to the cross, we are affirmed again and again. Yes, God, you are not against us, you are for us. You never turned your back against us, but you ran to us. So this morning we run to you and we ask for your Holy Spirit who is already in us to quicken our soul, to strengthen our mind and to fuel our hearts so that we may walk with you in and through the fiery furnace as you are at work to beautify your church. So we thank you, we praise you, and we glorify you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.